Welcome to the Landmark Podcast. I'm Jason Calhoun, pastor of Landmark Pentecostal Church in Texarkana, Texas. We encourage you to visit us on the web at landmarkupc.net for a schedule of services and upcoming events. We pray that you are blessed by the message today. Thank you again for listening. to 1 Corinthians chapter number 1, and I want to begin reading there with verse 12. First Corinthians chapter number 1 and verse 12. Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I am of Apollos, and I am of Cephas, and I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were ye baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you, the Crispus and Gius, lest any should say that I had baptized in mine own name. I baptized also the household of Stephanus. Besides, I know not whether I baptized any other. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel not with wisdom of words, lest the cross, everybody say the cross. Everyone say the cross of Christ. Lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. I want you to notice that Paul speaks about those that would endeavor by their actions, by their attitude to make the cross, the cross of Christ, he said, of none effect. But he said the preaching of the cross, that same cross, the cross of Christ, is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. And I want to preach for your consideration for the next few moments. Nothing cancels Calvary. Nothing cancels Calvary. Let's lift up our voices to the Lord and let's pray together right now that the Spirit of the Lord would anoint, have its way in this house, minister to needs in this place. Lord Jesus You know, God, every need, every heart that is here. You see every person, God, that needs the Holy Ghost. You know of every person here that stands in need of a miracle in their life or family. You know of every person that needs direction and guidance. You know of every saint of God that needs renewing and restoration in their spirit. I'm praying, God, that you would move that your perfect will and work would be done. In Jesus' name, 
And could the church say amen? Let's give him a hand clap of praise again. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad to be in church today? Uh, you can be seated. We used to sing an old song. Uh, I haven't heard it in a long time. But the Lord has been better to me than anyone else I know. He took away all my sins and washed me white as snow. He's been better to me than anybody else I know. Well, that's the way I feel this morning. He's been better to me than anybody else I know. You believe that? Amen. You should feel that way. Praise God. Recently, there has been ideology that is sweeping through society and frankly, I feel that it's a very dangerous one. You may have heard of it. It's called the cancel culture. It simply means that if a person disagrees with something, or if it makes them feel uncomfortable, they can withdraw their support. They can withdraw participation or involvement. They can act as though something doesn't exist by them simply ignoring it. They cancel people. They cancel, and I don't know how you do this necessarily, cancel products, cancel companies, cancel ideas, cancel philosophies. The council culture is running rampant in our country today. Let me say, just because you cancel something in your mind does not take away from its reality. It does not take away from its existence. And this attitude, believe me, it's not just targeting products or even certain people, but I believe its ultimate aim is for biblical truths and moral principles that we have stood by and that we have built our lives upon. But I'd like to say that this spirit is not a new thing. We may be recognizing it in a different way, and it may have been labeled a fresh new name, but this particular attitude and spirit has been around for a long time. Yeah, it was around in the first century church all the way back to 33 A.D. At the beginning of the church in the book of Acts, you'll find that there was a culture that was abounding that was trying its best to limit, trying its best to discredit, doing its best to convolute and to contain the kingdom of God as it would progress and as it would grow doing its best to try to fight the work of God in his church. And the Apostle Paul calls it out. He calls it out in Philippians chapter number 3 and verse 18, For many walk of whom I have told you often, and now I tell you even weeping, and telling you as I'm writing with my pen, tears are falling on the parchment, that they are enemies of the cross. 
Can I tell you, since Calvary took place to this very present moment, there has been enemies of the cross whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is their shame, and whose mind, who mind earthly things. Notice the three things that he points out in this passage of Scripture that characterize the cancel culture of his day and still, still characterizes this culture in the 21st century. He said, whose God is their belly. And I know that that brings and conjures up all kinds of crude definitions in our mind as to what that might mean. But let me just break that down a little bit for you and tell you that it's speaking of an unrestrained appetite that exists. That if it feels good, do it. There's no repercussions. There's nothing to stop you. There's nothing to hinder you. There's nothing that stands in your way uncontrolled urges and desires and this is descriptive of our world and our society today a culture that will call you out over the syrup that you use on your pancakes or the substance that you make your pancakes with but will at the same time shrug their shoulders at pedophilia a culture that sneers at Scripture but celebrates sodomy. A culture that tries to stigmatize godly saints but heaps accolades on godless athletes and entertainers. A culture that demonizes patriotism and deifies violent protest. Paul tells us where this all stems from. He said it's an uncontrolled, unrestrained appetite. Now you can get quiet all you want to. I'm going to preach what God has placed on my heart here this morning. Amen. I know I'm treading on dangerous ground, but you know what? I've been here before, so it doesn't bother me. I'm just telling you, you need to, we need to call this spirit out for what it is. We need to identify it for what it is. They glory in their shame, he said, meaning they feel no remorse. They feel no conviction. They feel no shame nor embarrassment. They are proud and they lavish their ungodliness and unrighteous behavior. And it's in your face and you have to accept it. While at the same time, they do their very best to downplay anybody that's trying to live by godly principles and the Word of God. They do their very best to put thumbs down on anything that has to do with God's church and God's people. Who mind earthly things? They have such a limited vision and perception that they cannot see beyond this world. But he says this. This is how we contrast with the cancel culture. He said our conversation is in heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our attention is focused not on earthly things. And not what is going on so much here. But our attention and our focus is upon that other world. 
is it? It's on eternity. It's on heaven. It's on going to be with Jesus. And in Philippians chapter number 2, earlier on in this same book, Paul describes the power of the cross. In verse 8, he says, And being fashioned as a man, talking about Jesus Christ, coming in the form of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death. And note this, even the death of the cross. Now you understand how gruesome and how cruel that dying upon the cross was. This was not a normal way of execution, or it's not exactly what we would think of as a humane way to execute, if there is such a thing, to execute anyone. This was not something that was immediate. This was not something that was sudden. But this was agonizing and took hours as we read the account of Jesus Christ being crucified on the cross. We know that he hung there for the space of some six hours, grueling and in pain. This was the death of the cross. And as he hung there suspended between heaven and earth, while his own creation looked on and mocked and jeered him, while there were those that said, if you're who you say you are, why don't you come down and save yourself? And uh, he, he notified them that even now, he said, I could have called uh, legions of angels to come and rescue me, but I'm here because I'm being obedient. I'm here because uh, there is a mission that I intend to fulfill. I want to save every soul that perishes in sin. I want to give opportunity to everybody. Amen. Even down through the ages, he looked into this room today and he saw the sins and the mistakes and the failures and the falling short of people in this place. And he gave you a chance and he gave you an opportunity to be right and to be saved and to find what it is to be cleansed and whole and purified by the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, somebody clap your hands and let's give praise to the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. He said even the death of the cross, as cruel as it was, he was willing to do that. He didn't look for an easier path. He didn't look for an easier way. But this very cruel and gruesome cross, rugged cross as we call it, he was willing to die upon it. In verse 9, wherefore God also had highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. Verse 10, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Of things in heaven, I want you to notice, in thing, and things in earth and things under the earth. So according to verse 10, Calvary affects three dimensions. It affects three worlds. It affects things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth. In other words, there's not one element, there's not anything that escapes the impact and the influence of Calvary. Amen. Wherever it is, amen, Calvary impacts it. 
Calvary influences it. It changes things eternally in the heavens. Amen. When you come to an altar of repentance and repent of your sins and the work of Calvary has began in your life all the way through to Jesus named baptism and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Amen. When that is fulfilled in your life and Calvary's work is complete in your life, we understand that it affects things even in heaven because the Bible said I name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Amen. And when he comes back and as we stand before the seat of judgment, the Bible tells me that he's going to open the book and he's going to look and because of Calvary, because of the blood of Jesus Christ, your name, I said your name, is going to be written there and he's going to say to you, Amen, enter in thou good and faithful servant into the joys of the Lord. Yes, it affects things in heaven. But not only there, it affects things on earth also. You talk about condemnation and the power that sin has and the addiction that has held you bound and the problem that you've grappled with for years and years and years and you haven't been, no matter how much counseling you had, no matter how many books you read, no matter how many people that you went to, you haven't been able to find or overcoming power and help and strength what I want to tell you that Calvary has the ability to affect things here on earth he can break the chains of bondage he can take away the addiction he can take away the desires for sin and the world he can take away everything that holds you bound come on let's give a hand clap of praise unto the Lord right now Yeah, praise God. And then, I like this, possibly the best. He said, and things under the earth. What's he talking about? I'm going to tell you, Calvary has an impact. The power of the cross has an impact. Not only on things above and things here, but on things beneath. The hold that the devil had. Amen. The vice that the devil had you in and was tightening up every day. The spirits that he used to try his very best to hold on to you and keep you incarcerated in sin. I'm going to tell you, Calvary is so much greater than any work of the enemy, than any power of hell. The power of the cross can overcome the devil. I said the power of the cross has power over the works of the enemy in your life. Amen. Hallelujah. Calvary is not canceled. You can only cancel one thing with something that is equal or greater in power. 
And in mathematics, you can only cancel one value or number with another number of value of equal or greater uh, significance. Uh, nothing is greater of greater significance or importance uh, than what has happened at the cross. And there's nothing that is more powerful than what happened at the cross. Uh, there's nothing that you grapple with. There's nothing that you confront. There's nothing that challenges you. There's nothing that comes against you. There's nothing that you face uh, that is greater than what happened at the cross. Uh, amen. So I want to tell you that Calvary has the ability to cancel out sins that you couldn't get over. Amen. That you couldn't overcome. That you couldn't find a way out. Calvary has the ability to cancel condemnation. What are you talking about? I'm talking about that voice in your ear that tells you you shouldn't be worshiping this morning. You shouldn't be lifting your hands. You shouldn't be singing those songs. You shouldn't be rejoicing. You don't have a right to do that. You, you're not allowed, amen, to raise your voice and to praise the Lord. I want to tell you the cause of Calvary. It cancels condemnation. It says, get behind me, devil. Away with those voices of hell that tell me that I'm not worthy. I know I'm not worthy in the flesh, but it's because of the blood. It's because of the work of the cross that I can stand in this place and lift up holy hands without wrath and without doubting. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Amen. Somebody thank God for the cross right now. Come on, thank the Lord. Woo, I feel it in this place this morning. I said I feel it in this place this morning. It's the power of the cross. There's some folks that are ashamed of it. There's some people that think it's too crude. There's some folks that don't like to talk about the blood and the suffering that took place there. Oh, but you better never shy away from it. You better cling to that old rugged cross. You better get as close as you can to it because that's your hope. That's your salvation. That's your ability to overcome. Hallelujah. The power of the cross. The power of the cross is still greater than sin. You can be seated. Colossians 2, 13 and 14. And you being dead in your sins. How many remember what it was like to be a walking dead man or woman? Walking around listlessly. Walking around, searching for hope, searching for true life. Dead in your sins and uncircumcision of the flesh. Hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Not just some. Amen. Aren't you thankful that Calvary doesn't just cover certain things in our lives or certain sins and then there's some things that it cannot cancel out or overcome. But aren't you thankful that it has the power to overcome all sin, all trespasses, blotting out the handwritten of ordinances, handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us. Not only, not only was it 
against us and proved our guilt, but it was contrary to us ever seeing a change in our lives. In other words, you got to remain right here. you got to stay like this. You can't change. You can't be a different person. And that's what he tries to whisper in the ears of people today. That you can't change. You can never be a different individual. And took it out of the way. That obstacle that said that you could not change. That obstacle that said it's always going to be like this. That obstacle that says you might as well learn to deal with it. It can never be different than it is right now. He removed it out of the way. Nailing it to his cross. Amen. Oh, you know that there was a lot of folks that were taken to the cross for execution, but there was none that had sinless blood to shed like him. There was none that had untainted blood that had the power to overcome death, hell, and the grave. There was none that had such pure and powerful blood to wash us of all iniquity but the blood of Jesus. And that blood blots out our transgressions. The cross overpowers the sin that is contrary to us. The guilt and the shame that we were burdened with. I'm so thankful that the blood of Jesus has the ability and the power to cleanse us of that. And then he says, according to Colossians 2 and 15, not only, not only sin, not only sin is controlled, not only controlled, but blotted out and removed by the cross, but Satan can't stop the effects of the cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. What does that mean? He said in this particular verse, and having spoiled, when you spoil something, that means that, that there was a certain plan that was in place. There was a certain design and purpose that the devil had in mind. He had a plan to destroy you. He had a plan to bring you down. He had a plan that your soul would spend an eternity in hell. He had a plan that you wouldn't be here this morning. He had a plan that you would never overcome that and you would never have the testimony that you have today. He had a plan that some of you would die in your sins. He had a plan man, that you would be destroyed by the sins that you were involved in. But aren't you're thankful because of the grace of God that you're in this room because of the work of Calvary and the power of the cross. Those plans that principalities and powers had for you have been spoiled because of the cross. He foiled the, the whole plan of the enemy when he went to the cross of Calvary. When you stepped out in an aisle and you was obedient to the gospel and you repented of your sins and was baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost. The devil's plans was foiled. I said the devil's plans were upset. He said, no longer do I have control. No longer can I manipulate their life. No longer can I destroy them. 
Hallelujah, hallelujah. Not only that, but just to make, this kind of like sticking the knife in and then twisting it. He made a show of them openly. You know, it's got to gall the devil. I want you to get this around. Get your mind around this. It's got to gall the devil. Like my daddy used to say, that chap's my height. One better than that. That torques my jaws. You know, it looks like small pistons in there. Right there, those muscles. Torques my jaws. When you grit your teeth. Anybody ever torqued your jaws? It must chap the devil's hide if he has hide. When he looks in this room on a Sunday morning, he said, I've thrown my best at them. I've done everything I can do to try to stop them. I had plans and designs to destroy them and take their soul to hell. But look at them there this morning. They still got smiles, and they're out there in the aisle dancing. Oh, come on, somebody. And shouting. And rejoicing and leaping for joy. Oh no, I, I'm not. I guess I'm not talking to everybody here. Oh, maybe I got the wrong group this morning. Amen. But there's some people in this place. He had a plan. He was going to bring you down. He was going to destroy. He was going to get you to the place that you were just going to check out. He, he had He had it already put it in your mind. He had a plan that you'd take that gun and take your own life. He had a plan that you'd take those drugs and take your own life. He had a plan. Amen. That that car wreck was going to destroy it. He had a plan that you were going down. But thanks be to God that you're in this place this morning and you're still shouting and you're still worshiping and you're still rejoicing because nothing I said nothing no thing cancels Calvary oh clap your hands and let's give praise to him and then then Verses 16 and 18 of our text. He said, let us know that man cannot hinder the power of the cross. Amen. Verse 16 says, let no man therefore judge. Verse 18 says, let no man beguile you. Man has devised dogmas and doctrines in an attempt to cancel Calvary. The Pharisees tried to do it back then. The Sadducees tried to do it back then. And they're still trying to do it today. And they said in that day that if you transgress the law, it's over for you. There's no hope. The only way it can be satisfied is through the ceremonial laws that Moses, that God gave Moses. Not understanding that they were living under a better covenant. Not understanding that they had a closer relationship. Not understanding the power of the cross and the work that was done there. And they said if you're guilty, you're judged unworthy. You're unqualified. 
And they lived under this heavy, impossible burden of the law. And man's best attempts to live for God ended in failure. They stumbled under that burden. They couldn't lift that weight. The law, you understand, was only to be a schoolmaster that would lead us to Christ or point us to Christ. To a better covenant, as Hebrews calls it. The scripture says it was the shadow of things to come. And that word that we use, uh, the word photograph that we use in the English language is a derivative from the Greek word that is used for shadow. All the rituals of the law in the Old Testament were like a picture, in other words. They were just pictures of a coming Christ. They were just snapshots. When you look into the Old Testament, you read certain things there. It gives you a little glimpse and you look and you see and you understand, hey, that's what I'm looking for. That's a signpost of what is to come. That gives me an idea of what the Messiah is going to look like. That gives me an idea of what he's going to appear uh, to his people and look like. I can look at the snapshot. I look and I learn from the Old Testament about what the Messiah was to look like. And the Bible said when he came into his own because they were so caught up and, and they embraced the picture so much when the reality came, when the fulfillment came, when the fullness of the Godhead came they were unable to see it. They, they were not familiar with it and they wanted to pull back underneath the shadow and live in the shadow when they could have lived in the light of his coming when they could have lived in the hope amen of his coming when they could have stepped into the brightness and the blessing and the brilliance of his salvation and I was just reading and studying through this passage and I came on to a commentary and, and I was reading a story that was in the midst of that commentary that I want to share with you this morning it was about a young couple that were married back during World War II. And as it was, soon after they were married, the young man had to go off to war. And he went off for the space of, I think, some two years. And he was on foreign soil. Of course, this was before modern times. There was no FaceTime. There was no phone calls of, of such. Only letters. And, uh, and them not as frequent as they would have liked them to be. But before he left, this lady took a photograph. This wife took a photograph. This young wife took a photograph of her husband. And she had it enlarged. And uh, she placed it. She got a big purse. And she placed it in that purse. And she carried it around with her daily. And uh, she looked at it often. And finally, the letter was written that I am going to be finished with my deployment and I'm coming home and this is the port that I'm coming back to meet me there and on that certain day that was appointed she went to uh, the port or the dock where the ship was to come in and she had her purse with the picture and as she was watching those uniformed soldiers come off of that boat looking at them all of them dressed the same, many of them about the same height, of course, all having 
uh, about the same haircut. And they're all coming off. But she noticed in the midst of all of that in the crowd, she noticed a young man that stood out to her. And uh, she ran. She wasn't worried about the photograph no more. She wasn't worried about the picture in her purse. She ran and embraced him because now she had something better than a picture. She had the one, amen, that she had been waiting for and keeping herself for and been faithful to. I'm going to tell you, we don't need to slip back underneath the shadow when we got a Savior that is in this house. I said we don't need to embrace something less than when we got all we need in this place today don't hold on to a faded photograph when you have him I tell you he's in this place here this morning he's here to touch hearts he's here to save souls he's here to move on the lives of people would you stand with me right now lift your hands to it and let's thank God for the power of the cross Sin can't cancel Calvary. Satan couldn't cancel Calvary. Matter of fact, during that interval between Christ being placed in that tomb until his resurrection on the third day, there was something very significant happened. The Bible says that he went to hell and took away from the enemy the keys to his own house, death, hell, and the grave. In other words, you don't have authority. You don't have power over people. You can't lock people down in defeat no more. Amen. If they want, they can be free. If they choose the cross, they can be liberated. Hallelujah. In Luke chapter 23, the Bible talks about two malefactors, thieves, that was crucified on the same day as the Lord Jesus. Bible describes it this way. It says there was one on the right, there was one on the left. Though they were just feet apart, they were miles apart as far as their attitude and their faith and their belief and what was going on. And though both of them had equal opportunity and were equally as close to the Lord, each of them made different decisions that day one railed on him one accused and when he finished the other lifted up his voice and he rebuked the one that had railed on him and then he turned his attention to the Lord and he said would you remember me And the Bible says that this man, so impacted by what was going on there, and because of the faith and the attitude that he had, the Lord showed mercy on him. But this other man, with all that was transpiring, with all that was taking place, as they were driving nails into the hands and feet of the Lord, 
He witnessed it. He saw it as they stood that cross up. Yes, there were groanings and there was sighs because of the pain. But he never lifted up his voice and cursed them, the very ones that was unlawfully the very ones the Bible said it this way if they'd have known who they were crucifying they wouldn't have done it instead of cursing them as normal criminals did the Bible says he said father forgive them for they know not what they do they're not aware they don't understand. They don't have a revelation. Father, forgive them. And that, that moved one man. But the other one was untouched by it. Was unstirred by it. Didn't do anything for it. Didn't really move him at all. As that crowd began to jeer and mock, as soldiers offered him gold to drink when he was thirsty. As they, at the very foot of his cross, gambled over his garment. One man was moved and he said, this has got to be him. This has got to be the Messiah. And one just a few feet away was untouched. And unstirred. But you know, I've watched it. Not much has changed. People can be in the same church service under the same anointing and influence and power of God, and one can be moved to tears, and another can stand so stoic and hardened in their heart. One turns to come to an altar, and another turns to go outside. One makes a plea for God to forgive them. And the other said, I'm not praying. I'm not talking to God. I want to ask you. I want to ask you, which one are you? Amen. You say, well, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a child of God. I've been in this thing a long time. I'm going to tell you, every one of us ought to be moved afresh by Calvary, especially in these days. To think even those people that are running crazy, amen, in this world and in sin in over their heads and don't even understand what spirit is controlling them. He died for them. Those that have hate in their heart, he died for them. Those that mock him and hurl obscenities, those that lift their voice and curse his very name, he still died for them. He still went to the cross. He still paid the ultimate price. Even the death of the cross. He went there so they'd have a chance. So they'd have an opportunity. What's your response going to be? Amen. How are you going to respond to Calvary today? How are you going to respond to the cross today? How are you going to respond to what was done on Golgotha today? How are you going to respond to what takes place here this morning? As the Spirit of God moves upon us, as we are drawn closer.
to Mount Calvary through the reminder, the preaching of the Word of God this morning. I wonder what kind of choice and the decision that you're going to make. Hallelujah about those that are listening, those that are hearing us today over the Internet. I wonder what's going to be your decision. Are you going to let situations and circumstances of this life continue to drive a wedge between you and your Savior? Drive you further and further away from the presence of God? Are you going to come to the cross? Are you going to heed the call of Calvary? Oh, are you going to open up your heart and let the blood of Jesus come and cleanse and wash you? As they begin to sing this morning, I wonder, as Calvary makes a call this morning, can anybody hear it? Will anybody respond to it? Will anybody open up your heart to receive? Hallelujah. Come on, let's talk to the Lord. Let's seek Him. Let's call on His name here this morning. Oh, somebody pray and somebody repent.